Whoever thought making a baby could be so hard? Luckily, the fertility journey isn't meant to be traveled alone. Eloise Drain has helped hundreds of people build and grow their families over the last 15 years, and she's ready to share her insider knowledge and expertise with you. So grab a seat and let's talk fertility and alternative family building in the Fertility Cafe. Welcome to today's episode of Fertility Cafe. I am your guest host, Jesse Feist. You're used to hearing from Eloise Drain, six-time egg donor, three-time surrogate, mother of four, owner of Family Inceptions, the boutique surrogacy and egg donation agency headquartered in Atlanta, Georgia, that Eloise Drain. But today it's me. No one is as qualified as Eloise, but I have been in the family building space for over six years. I started off as a surrogate and egg donor case manager and have since worked in the fertility communications field. I am actually co-chair of Resolve, the National Infertility Association's Federal Advocacy Day this year in 2020 and happened to be in 2021, sorry, this year 2021 and last year 2020 uh, as a volunteer role. And I've had the pleasure of working with many surrogates um, and many surrogate journeys in my past six years. And I've become friends with many surrogates, so I'm very excited to talk today about our episode, which is all about surrogate partner involvement the spouse, the husband, the wife, or the committed boyfriend or girlfriend of surrogate, what their role is and how it's important. We're going to talk about how a relatively high percentage of partners are initially opposed to the concept of you becoming a surrogate. And we'll chat about why this is often the case and how you can respectfully engage in the conversation together so that you better understand one another's perspective. We'll outline some of the most common misconceptions about surrogacy, the ones which prevent partners from being on board. And then we'll share in detail how exactly surrogate partners are involved and what is asked of them. And I'm even going to rate each task required of a surrogate's partner on a scale of 1 to 10 in an attempt to give you an idea of how consuming or difficult each activity is, basically how much of an ask it is. So if you want to become a surrogate, but your partner is not entirely on board, this is very much an episode for you. And that said, if your spouse or partner fully supports you becoming a surrogate, you should still stick around. There's a lot to learn about surrogate partner involvement, what it looks like, and why it's so important to have their support. All right. Before we dive in, I want to be really clear about something. You absolutely can become a surrogate if you are single. This entire episode is all about how to encourage your husband, wife, or partner to get on board with you. But that doesn't mean you have to be married. Uh, You can be married or single in a committed relationship and all still become a surrogate. But one thing that is a no is you cannot be in the midst of a change in relationship. Your marital status, if you are interested in becoming a surrogate, you should know that it, it plays a role in the legal arrangement and implications of your journey. So if you're engaged or divorcing or separating or you anticipate any kind of such change within the 12 to 6 month window of a surrogacy journey, um, then you're going to want to hold off. But just know that all you single ladies, this episode is not a disqualifier. It doesn't in any way, shape, or form mean that you cannot become a surrogate. You're just going to need to have that support from your tribe and your community, which I'm sure you already have. All right, so back to the topic at hand. What is the deal with hesitant partners? All right, now, believe it or not, the idea of you, their beloved person, their wife or girlfriend, likely the mother of their children, becoming pregnant with someone else's child, it's, it's not immediately exciting to some folks, okay? You're becoming a modern-day surrogate or gestational carrier, maybe something that your uh, husband or partner or wife, they, they laugh off or they think you're not serious about. 
but they might even just forbid it or dismiss it. And that's okay. Nearly 30% of active surrogates polled said that their partner or spouse was initially against their becoming a surrogate. But then every single one of those hesitant partners came around as they learned more about surrogacy. It's worth mentioning that you do need them to be on board. To any would-be partners out there, she cannot do this without you. You do have a valuable role to play and the hesitations you feel are valid. We will walk through them on this episode. And you may discover along the way that what you thought was true about surrogacy is in fact not. A lot of these misconceptions help to form the initial hesitation, pardon me. But let's dive into these misunderstandings because I think that's a great place to start. So misunderstanding number one, how a surrogacy pregnancy is achieved. Many folks do not know how surrogacy pregnancy is achieved. So when you say to your partner, honey, I want to become a surrogate or I'm thinking about it. What you mean to say is, I want to be a gestational carrier. I want to carry an embryo that was created in the lab using IVF that's implanted into my uterus during a medical procedure so a hopeful parent who desperately wants a child may fulfill their dream. That's what you mean, and I understand that that's what you mean. But what your partner hears is, hey, honey, how do you feel about me having sex with someone else and us giving them the baby and then them paying us money? (laughs) These are two very different ideas, and you can see how they would inspire very different levels of openness. Now, to be clear, there's no sexual intercourse involved in gestational surrogacy, but that's one of the misconceptions. Surrogacy, gestational surrogacy pregnancy is achieved through uh, a medical process at an IVF clinic and through IVF. Misunderstanding number two, embryo source. So misunderstanding number one leads nicely into the second. Once your partner is understanding that pregnancy is achieved through a medical procedure, you can address who will be the biological parent or who's related to that embryo. Embryos created using someone else's egg and sperm in the lab. And you might think that this is already understood by your partner, but you might want to just start there. It would not be my egg. It would not be your sperm, right? Because your partner may just not be aware that there's no genetic relation between you and the children that you would carry. And you may need to just spell that out. Once your partner understands that the embryo is not created from your egg and that you won't be genetically related to the children that you carry or child and that the pregnancy is achieved through a medical procedure, you may find that conversation will become a lot more productive. Misunderstanding number three, rates of infertility. It's also possible that your partner may be unaware of just how prevalent infertility and other family building challenges are. According to Resolve, the National Infertility Association, ASRM, the American Society of Reproductive Medicine, and the WHO, the World Health Organization, one in eight couples struggle to become or remain pregnant. Your partner may not know, as many people do not, that infertility is categorized as a disease. It's defined as the failure to achieve a pregnancy after 12 months or more of regular unprotected sexual intercourse. Now, if your partner is male, which statistically the majority of our current circuit partners are, he may be even less aware of how common fertility struggles are. Fertility and family building struggles traditionally have not been topics of open conversation. And our male partners, especially those who've only experienced success in this department or perhaps spent many years trying to prevent pregnancy, Well, due to no fault of their own, they just have little awareness of how common the diagnosis is. And in many cases, it's a matter of they just don't know what they don't know. All right, on to misunderstanding number four, that surrogacy is for regular people. Perhaps your partner assumes that only celebrities or reality stars use surrogacy to build their families. And it makes sense because those are the stories that receive the most publicity. But the truth is the vast majority of surrogacy journeys in the United States involve, quote, regular people. 
there are many reasons why a normal person may pursue parenthood through surrogacy. And the vast majority of surrogacy arrangements are people who are just like you and me, who don't have a reality television show and aren't an actor in Hollywood, who uh, just need help having a child. Now, it's either because they don't have a uterus, for the example of two male partners, or because they have a challenging medical uh, complication or diagnosis. So misunderstanding number four is that this is absolutely for regular people too. Which brings me to misunderstanding number five, the why not just adopt? Okay. Your partner may have a better understanding of surrogacy now that you've talked about misunderstanding one through four, and they might have a greater empathy for those who can't conceive on their own. But in the back of their mind, they may be wondering this age-old question, why can't those people who have a challenge, why can't they just adopt? Now, this question comes up without fail whenever anyone discusses third-party reproduction. It's a long-standing misconception that adoption is this one-size-fits-all solution and that it, quote, should be what anyone who can't have a baby in the old, you know, old ways, what they turn to. If your partner responds and, and uses this question, well, why can't, why can't those people just adopt? Don't sigh and roll your eyes. This is actually a sign that you're getting somewhere with the discussion, I promise. So what's a good response to this question? Let's, let's talk about adoption. Domestic and international adoption each have their unique challenges, and I am not an adoption expert, but I've been in the family building field for a while, and I understand that, of course, adoption is right choice for some families, but it's just that. It's, it's a choice. It is not the default answer for all, and it should not be served up to those who are struggling to conceive as their only path to parenthood. Many people have this idea that adoption is affordable, but it's rarely the case. Um, adoption actually is rather costly. Private adoption agencies quote around you know $50,000. Um, and many people then just say, okay, well then adopt from the foster care system. Uh, while there are over um, some 400,000 children in the United States foster care system currently, the goal of the American foster care system is to reunify children with parents and or with family. So adoption through the foster care system is not the most common outcome, and it's certainly not the most direct route for parenthood. Adoption, it's just, it's not a simple experience. And the U.S. court system sort of defaults to the best interest of the child, of course, um, but heavily favors the rights of birth parents. So this means adoption can often fall through at the last minute, um, which is heartbreaking for many hopeful parents. There's also attachment and trauma issues, which I'm not qualified to speak on, but they unfortunately plague adopted children and families. And um, I would just argue that although adoption is great and beautiful and the right choice for many families and many children, it's still expensive. For many, it is cost prohibitive and it's an uncertain road. There are some serious emotional and interpersonal challenges to tackle and it's just not the default answer for everybody. Misconception six. The next misconception is that becoming a surrogate will open you up to being scammed, financially harmed, or the victim of some awful fate worthy of your own lifetime movie. Let's address each of these concerns. It's actually great that your partner is thinking like this. I mean, financial compensation, credit scares, these are all important considerations. If I'm honest, I'll say, of course, that uh, if you were to agree to an, a journey off of a random um Craigslist ad or you rush into an arrangement without doing due diligence or, you know, you don't have an attorney, then yeah, these are things that you should be concerned about. Um, you can share with your partner that such concerns are exactly why you are working with an agency. Agencies make sure that intended parents are able to pay. They hold uh, their funds in escrow and they ensure the payments are made according to the legally executed agreement. And a referral agency um, 
reputable agency, pardon me, they're just truly the ultimate tool against that sort of concern. They protect you against that lifetime trauma. And intended parents who work with the reputable agency, they will have undergone um, mental health consultations and they will have appropriately funded escrow accounts and they will be vetted. Misconception number seven is that you might become attached to the baby. We've all heard this one. There's an idea out there that you as a surrogate will have a hard time, quote, giving up the baby. And I really don't like that phrase in the context of surrogacy. Surrogates do not give up the baby. <clears throat> we all know they give the baby back, right? Um, you can, again, uh, begin by assuring your partner that although you will likely feel a closeness to the baby that you carry, it will not be that same connection you had with your own children. You will know from the very start that you are doing this for your intended parents. And as your relationship with your intended parents grows, you'll start looking forward to seeing their joy and seeing them hold their new baby. Many surrogates report that this is actually, you know, the best moment. This is the part they look forward to. So your partner really does not have anything to worry about there. Okay, those are the seven big misconceptions that are often at the root of a partner's initial objection. Let's talk through some other concerns your partner may have. These are distinguishable from misconceptions because they're not rooted in a misunderstanding. These are specific, often valid hesitations your partner may feel. And I recommend that you listen with an open mind and encourage open dialogue and, and talk about them. So one of the things that you might need to talk about, concern number one, it's just the danger of pregnancy and birth. It's worth acknowledging that uh, pregnancy and birth are not without risk. It's possible your partner may not want to support you becoming a surrogate because they simply do not want to see you take any unnecessary risk. This uh, concern requires a personalized analysis. First, you have to realize, though, that if you have any medical conditions that makes that would make your pregnancy or delivery more challenging, you would not really... Uh, well, you would not likely be accepted as a surrogate. Fertility clinics, your OB, um, the agency you work with, no one wants to see you hurt. And this is in large part why the ASRM standards and the clinic standards are so strict. Uh, they really only accept women whose pregnancy and birth records are, are uncomplicated. That's all to say that the risk of injury or harm when becoming a parent, um, you know, there it's still there, any pregnancy. So it is a valid concern. And we encourage you hearing your partner out on this. And you do just have to consider carefully about this for yourself. Concern number two is just about the protections. Um, what protections are there to help keep everything on the straight and narrow to make sure everything goes well? We've established that surrogacy isn't this gateway to being scammed if you're going with a reputable agency and doing your due diligence. But your partner may still have some serious concerns about what type of legal or financial or other protections exist throughout the process. Um, so we've talked a little bit about the strict medical standards. There are also mental health standards in place, not only to protect intended parents, but also to protect would-be surrogates. And let's talk about some other protections. Biggest one that we've already spoken a little bit about is that legally binding gestational surrogate contract. This is a document that runs the show and absolutely has to be drafted by a competent, experienced family law attorney who's licensed. And when you work with a reputable agency, of course, they make certain that that's the case. Uh, they put you in touch with such counsel. As a surrogate, you will have your own attorney who just represents you and your interests. Your lawyer will walk you through your legal contract prior to signing. They will answer any questions you have. You wouldn't be responsible for paying for the attorney. The IPs would pay for your attorney fees, but this attorney would be your attorney and they would have a clear ethical and professional duty to solely focus on your interests, make sure that you truly understand and to act as your advocate. All right. The contract is extremely thorough, outlining not only the behaviors and the payments, but it's also going to make it really clear that you, the surrogate, and your partner, you just have no expectation of parental rights or you're not going to make any kind of legal claim 
on the child or the children that you're carrying and that you just have no legal or financial interest or obligation. The mental health checks are also a wonderful safety tool. Um, We'll talk more about those when we go over the ways in which your partner will uh, be involved in the journey. The escrow account, it's a very necessary protection when you work with a reputable agency. Um, You have your intended parents. They will fund and appropriately um, fund an escrow account, which your agency will manage throughout the process. And this ensures that there are enough funds to cover medical costs as well as the surrogate's compensation. And that's certainly the way we handle finances here at Family Inceptions. Um, And then intended parents might also purchase, uh, upon the suggestion of their agency, additional insurance policies for long or short-term disability. And this offers another layer of protection should there be um, complications. And yeah, so those are some of the safety tools which are in place to help address some of the concerns. And you can talk about those things when your partner is hesitant. The next concern your partner might have is how a surrogacy pregnancy would impact your household. There's no doubt that your household would be impacted by a surrogacy journey. The nausea, the cravings, the aches, the pains, these will all be real and they'll be felt to a certain extent by all the members of your household. Not all pregnancies are the same. In fact, they're all different. And surrogacy pregnancies are often said to provide a different experience, very distinguishable from that of when they were carrying their own biological children. So there's no way to predict how bad or easy your morning sickness will be or how you'll feel once you hit that third trimester. So it's certainly worth talking about how everybody in the household is going to feel and how your guys are going to share this impact to the family. Some partners worry about how their own children might be impacted or confused by mommy, you know, carrying a a baby um, that is not their sibling. In general, children, they do really well with the concept of surrogacy. In fact, they do a lot better than many adults. There are a lot of cute little books out there with sweet metaphors of gardens and kangaroos and koalas, all that good stuff to help make the concept of surrogacy a little bit more easily understood by children of different ages. Now, come to think of it, no one has yet to make such a book for um, for grown-ups, partners. And I think that's actually a really good idea. Someone should get on that, right? All right. Up next, the other concern, which you're going to want to address is just, what will people think? A lot of partners just worry about how others might perceive the situation. And again, those might stem from common misconceptions. And once they're clear about those misconceptions, once they're cleared up, then they're going to feel not as worried about what other people might think. Uh, Yeah, so we addressed some of those misconceptions at the top of the episode, but your partner may fear that people will, you know, have visions of Handmaid's Tale when you show that you're going to become a surrogate. And, you know, this is just education and communication is key. If you and your partner decide to move ahead, you're going to just talk about, again, how are we going to share this information? How much are we going to share with your mother, my mother, the public, you know, the gal who bags our groceries at the at the store around the corner? Um, there are going to be some fast facts that you're going to just agree on saying, this is who we're going to say what to. And um, you'll just have some clear talking points. And sometimes if your partner says, okay, what are we going to say to these people? And say, well, we'll just say, I'm a surrogate. And if they have questions, we'll leave it up. Or I'm a surrogate. It's not my baby. You're not the dad. You know, all good. You can make a joke of it. You can make a plan. And, and sometimes having a plan is really what you need to address that concern. All right, let's talk about money next. It's not a concern per se, but it's an element worth discussing. Now, we've already established that when you work with a reputable agency, you're um, going to be compensated and you should be, of course, reimbursed promptly and fully of any costs or if there's any bills that somehow get sent your way, it should be taken care of. Um, but what does it actually look like, this compensation? Now, your partner may be possibly more supportive or open to the idea when they hear that surrogates make upwards to you know, 50 grand 
fund in base compensation. And then there's pre-pregnancy payments and pregnancy payments. And that's actually a pretty conservative figure, but again, it just depends. Um, This, of course, is not easy money, but it can be life-changing money for some surrogates and their families who are just looking for that boost. Um, Some families use that money to put a down payment on a home or they pay off student loans or they they really, you know, they boost their child's college saving funds. And if your partner is looking for a way to support and supplement the income, you know, just sort of casually mentioning that this is the compensation and they may not be aware that it's as high as it is because it's really uh, seems to have really risen in the past 10 years. So those are the concerns which you should be talking about or the issues they make sure that they're clear on. Let's uh, now talk exactly about what your partner is committing to when they support your surrogacy journey. You've made it this far in the conversation. Congratulations. So the final layer of consideration for many partners is, okay, I'm on board theoretically. What exactly do you need me to do? Um, I'm going to go through this. And as I mentioned, I'm even going to give a little grade to each of the elements so you know exactly what level of difficulty I assign to each of these these asks that a partner would have to uh, be involved with. So the first thing your partner will have to do is they would have to sign their name and give their permission for their agency or family inceptions or whomever they're working with to run a background check on them. And as far as involvement and commitment goes, I'm going to go ahead and give this first step a one out of 10. It does not take a lot and can usually be accomplished in less than one minute. Um, I think if they if they do run a, a credit check, it's a soft check. It shouldn't hurt anybody's credit. It shouldn't bother anything. It's just one of those, we give permission for you to make certain we are who we say we are sort of thing. The next activity your partner would be involved in is a mental health consultation with a licensed mental health professional. Each professional has their own uh, protocol and office procedure, appointments, all that good stuff. But it is possible that yourself and your partner may have to take a bit of time off work depending on their work schedule. Uh, so that is something worth noting. Now, during the appointment, the professional is going to ask you both, both you, the surrogate or the potential surrogate and your partner, some personal questions as well as they're just going to make certain that you have a realistic understanding of the undertaking of surrogacy. Uh, some couples find this appointment to be somewhat fun <laughs> in the same way that answering questions about yourself or hypothetical situations can be a little fun. Um, if nothing else, it's a way to change up your regular date experience, right? Ultimately, this meeting is just, to, again, to make sure that you're, everybody's on the same page and that your partner is indeed ready for this. They understand what's going on and they're here for it. I'm going to go ahead and say this is a four out of 10 in terms of commitment because um, some people really seem uncomfortable answering personal questions um, and that some folks will have to take a little bit of time off of work maybe to get that appointment in. But for others, it's it's a fun little exciting, unique experience. So reputable agencies are also going to require a home check and these are either done in person or sometimes virtually. Um, Agencies may require everybody who lives in the home, including your partner, to be present for the home check. Others may not. It just depends on your state and if they've already signed paperwork. It's actually kind of a, it's a little detailed there, but um, your partner may or may not have to be present, but I'm going to have to guess that they were probably, you know, part of, you know, you fluffing the pillows or, or pillows and getting, you know, ready and getting the house ready. So all in all, the home visit is an easy ask for partners. Um, I personally, over the years have had the pleasure of meeting some surrogates who were going through screening and I uh, you know, walked with them through their homes and just made certain that the home was safe for pregnancy and there were no immediate dangers. And the uh, partners who were there, who were required to be there, I think most of them watched television for the majority of the stay or a few of them may have like pointed out a collection they had or something like that. So it's, it was certainly not an in-depth experience. I'm going to go ahead and say that's like a one out of 10 in terms of commitment or the strenuous experience. So, all right. 
Next, your partner will have to take part in some light medical testing, and they can expect a blood draw or a finger prick or a urine sample, probably all three at different points, and maybe a swab inside of their mouth. And this would be for uh, testing of drugs or possibly tobacco use and STDs. Some clinics are going to want to see your partner in person to run their own mental health screening in addition to the one that's completed by the initial mental health consultation in the mental health consultation, pardon me. Um, in such an instance, your partner may have to go along with you for for um, that medical evaluation at the IVF fertility clinic. And if that's out of state, then again, they're going to need to take a day off of work or some time off of work. Other clinics, um, they're not going to need to see your partner in person. So maybe they'd be able to fulfill this requirement through medical screens at a local um, screening facility. Depending on whether or not your partner has to travel and take time off of work for these clinic screenings, um, I'm going to go ahead and rate this aspect of the journey requiring you know, a four out of 10 for your partner. It shouldn't be too bad. All right, the next element of the journey is the legal phase. And you and your partner both have to, well, you really should, and I'm going to go ahead and say you're going to need to read and understand and sign that contract. So your marital status could have an effect on the legal implications of the journey. So your legal spouse may be more involved than a committed partner, but that's not always the case. Depending on how much your partner wishes to understand the nuance of your legal contract, the time it's required is, I would say, either... 45 minutes to three hours uh, to review and sign the contract. I would say it's probably more like an hour. Um, I'm going to give the participation of the legal phrase about a two out of 10 because uh, it's certainly good for your yourself and your partner to understand what they are signing and certainly to ask any questions of the attorney who's there to help you to be your advocate. Make certain they know what they are agreeing to. After legal clearance is achieved, um, you, the surrogate, would be given a medical calendar from the IVF nurse, detailed instructions as to how and when to take medications to prepare your body for transfer. Among these medications are little injection shots. I shouldn't say little. There are injections, <laughs> which are essentially, um, which are essential, pardon me. Um, and they are also just like a real bugger to give to oneself. You, you usually need a helping hand. So this is where partners are often asked to step in and administer the shots. Uh, by the third shot, most partners are totally comfortable with the task and they are bragging about how they should have been a nurse or doctor, you know. Um, I'm going to go ahead and give this a 2 out of 10 because uh, the partners are not the ones getting poked in these instances. And plus, it's sort of fun to uh, administer shots once you get the hang of it. All right. As your body prepares for embryo transfer, um, you're going to likely be told to abstain uh, to abstain from sexual intercourse. Now, this may be a big ask for your partner, um, but it should be a relatively short uh, period of time and it's for a good cause. Uh, in terms of rating, I don't know, it's definitely going to vary. This is probably a 6 out of 10 for some folks or no big deal for others. No judgment either way. The actual embryo transfer is an exciting day. Um, you may want your partner to be there with you or it may be better to have your partner remain back at the home front to take care of the kids. Um, in whichever case, uh, you're definitely going to need a supportive companion there to support you um, at your IVF clinic. And if it's out of state, your partner... Uh, wants to and needs to attend, then of course they're going to have to take a, t a time off of work depending on their schedule. And they're just going to have to be there for you to recover after the procedure. Again, each clinic is a little bit different. So some clinics encourage surrogates to resume regular activity. No big deal. Maybe you could even fly home that night. Others want you off your feet for the next 48 hours. So you're going to be sitting in a hotel room watching Netflix and your partner or whomever's with you, they're really going to have to just play nurse and uh, make sure that uh, they empower you to fulfill those um, that medical protocol. Whichever, whichever specific protocol is given to you by your clinic. Some might say that the partner who decides to stay home with the kids and keep the household together has it harder. <laughs> 
But um, all in all, I'm going to give this aspect of the journey, whether or not they stay home or come with you, a five out of 10, because um, either being a supportive nurse or taking time out of work or acting as a solo homestead wrangler of all of the kids, you know, it's, it's five out of 10. All right. It's worth mentioning here that um, not every single embryo transfer is successful. Of course, that would be wonderful, but it's just it's just not the reality. Many surrogates agree to at least uh, three attempts, and this is usually outlined in the contract. If the first transfer does not uh, result in a pregnancy, then you and your partner would just await a new medical calendar, and you would begin that administration of um, medications all over again, and you go through that phase again. You need to arrange for your next embryo transfer. So of all the tasks I've mentioned, they've all been very literal, like actions that your partner would have to take. Um, and of course, that's there are steps like that. But throughout all of this, the hope is that your partner will be there for you. They will be living this experience and taking it all in with you, participating in the highs and the lows, and being a sounding board and a you know just discussing things with you. And they will be with you in those you know periods of waiting. And um, and the hope is, of course, if you are to receive disappointing news after transfer, that your partner would be there to comfort you and encourage you. Most women who become circuits have never experienced anything but success. So when it comes to fertility and conception, um, that that they've only known, yay, we did it, we're pregnant. And they've only known, you know, plus signs. And uh, so setbacks can really hit hard and be an unexpected impact. And um, it can be shocking. So it's really good, of course, to have a supportive partner there if such a thing were to happen. So uh, transfer, failure, or I'm going to go ahead and talk about something that's not often talked about, pregnancy loss. It's not something that we talk about in our culture often. Um, and it's certainly less talked about, I would say, in third-party reproduction, specifically surrogacy uh, pregnancy loss. But I mean, it does happen. It can happen. Um, your partner and your community in such an instance as well as so the mental health professionals involved in your journey, they would be there for you. But loss of a pregnancy is a circuit. It's it's strange and it can be a frustrating experience. Um, and it can be isolating because maybe a lot of the forums that are set up for pregnancy loss are not set up for women who weren't the mothers or the biological mothers of those children. And so you're not really sure maybe where you could get support. It's just a unique circumstance. So considering the possible scenarios that could become you know, that could complicate the the situation. It, it becomes more clear of why you need a partner who's really on board. Yeah. If you had a partner, if you had got some disappointing news or your transfer failed and your partner has been against this the whole time, your partner might say, well, why are you even doing this? This isn't good. You know, well, no one needs to hear that in that moment. Your partner needs to be like, okay, it's all right. We can do it again. Um, I've got it. You're doing great. Okay. Enough talk about disappointing possibilities. Uh, what is the next requirement of your partner if everything goes according to plan? Well, your partner may or may not um, have been around during your previous pregnancies. Perhaps they are they know exactly what to expect. Um, in a lot of ways, you're going to need that same help and they're going to have to provide you the same care. Um, they're going to be understanding when you're nauseous. They're going to be forgiving when you're gassy. You know, uh, Perhaps they're the person who you send out for craving runs. Uh, these are all things that your partner could expect reasonably. Um, and of course, they'll need to pick up more laborious tasks around the house when you're no longer able to tackle them. So I'm going to say just home assistance and home care, regular pregnancy care, I'm going to say five out of 10 because it can require a lot of energy, both physically and emotionally, support a pregnant person for nine months, but it's not too different than from what they've been through before, possibly. Now, story definitely changes if you as a circuit are carrying multiples. Multiples are certainly a lot 
less common nowadays. Uh, more and more clinics are steering intended parents towards single embryo transfers. Um, that said, sometimes embryos split and uh, you may uh, become pregnant with multiples without having intended or your intended parents having intended or your doctor even. Um, so there's always that possibility and it's good for your partner to know that that's a possibility because caring for and uh, partnering with a gal who's carrying twins is uh, harder. I would say it's there's more to be done. There's more care that they need. I know Eloise carried twins for one set of her intended parents and it's no joke. Um, so yeah. And so if your partner is leans in and helps uh, if you are carrying multiples, I'm going to go ahead and give that instance a seven out of 10. That's a, that's a higher level commitment from your partner. All right. In some instances, a surrogate partner um, naturally kind of falls into this communications role, this communicator role with the intended parents. Um, yeah, that's something else that they don't strictly have to do, but sometimes it happens and they just might casually stay in touch with the intended parents. You know, they might be on that text thread or the WhatsApp app as well, and they might provide updates about appointments or, um, you know, they might hold the phone up as you speak to them. And along the way, the partners begin to develop friendship or respect with their intended parents. So there's no wrong or right way for any of this to go, but by the time baby is born, surrogate partner is often as, as excited as the, um, you know, to see the intended parents become parents as the surrogate is. So I'm going to give it a one out of 10 uh, because it's not a huge ask to just be like a regular person and, and normal and nice and text people about their baby. <laughs> um, and most of the time, uh, partners end up really enjoying it and they have friendships that come of it. So good agencies and certainly family inceptions. They only introduce intended parents and surrogates um, who, whom they've considered like the personality and the priorities of all four of the people, both intended parents, if they're, if it's a couple and the surrogate and the surrogate's partner, all four personalities values are considered. Um, if you're working with a reputable agency, that's really thinking about the long haul of this journey and this partnership. So it should be pretty easy for your partner to, to kind of lean back, enjoy themselves. And, um, yeah. Now your partner may need to be more involved when it's time to actually deliver. Uh, whether you are delivering via C-section or vaginal delivery, uh, you will likely want the support of your partner. Um, if you're having a C-section, it's possible that only one person will be allowed in the operating room. We have had, we've seen intended parents find a way to get more than one in there, but it doesn't always happen. It's not a certainty. And certainly um, the coronavirus, COVID pandemic, that made things even more tricky, right? But um, working ahead of time uh, with all parties, you're going to have squared, squared away who's going to be in that room. Um you know, sometimes partners show their support or their deference to the IPs by saying, you know, honey, it can be it can be them in that delivery room. And if you're okay with it, you can all agree to it. So I know that supporting um, a person in labor or through surgery is can be, um, you know, a challenge. And so I'm going to go ahead and say supporting you um, through delivery, I'm going to do a six out of 10 because delivering a human is no joke and supporting the person that you love doing that, that can also be hard. And then, of course, recovery. Your partner will be there uh, for your recovery. Um, you're going to depend on them to keep your life and house together and allow you to rest up and to heal up. And we're going to say that this is a, a five to six, depending on how your recovery goes and how quick it is. But hopefully it's, it's pretty quick and great. That concludes the part of the episode in which I list out exactly the ways in which a partner would need to be involved in a surrogacy journey. And I hope it makes it a little bit more clear why we need them on board, why it's important. It's they are um there's they're a passenger on this boat as well on this journey. It's definitely not just you. So I hope that's more clear. Um, so this episode would not be complete without me adding in a few of my favorite stories about how partners have contributed over the years. Now, keep in mind, I have been doing this for a while and I've heard lots of stories. So don't 
let any of these, um, don't let, you know, I don't want you to think that these are common occurrences. Okay. These are very unique circumstances. So uh, the most exciting experience with the special story I've heard of a partner's unique involvement um, was, of course, a surrogate and her husband. They were on their way to the hospital. He was driving, obeying all traffic laws. And um, she told him, hey, honey, it's time to pull over. And he did. And it was a good thing because the baby was born um, immediately in the back of their car. Their intended parent's child was born right there. The, the uh, husband delivered the surrogate's husband delivered the baby, the IP's baby. Um, it was a relatively easy birth. Baby and mom were um, healthy and, you know, the MS came uh, about two minutes after baby was born. But that is uh, definitely one of my favorite ways in which a partner was unexpectedly involved, involved in the journey. Another really great story that I like is there was a snowstorm several years back and it was just a freak snowstorm and these intended parents were really worried about the snowstorm um, interrupting their scheduled embryo transfer. Um, and of course, embryo transfers are you know months in the making, sometimes after years of prior attempts and preparation. So to cancel one, it can be really devastating and expensive and frustrating. So the surrogate's partner, her husband, he was a Northern guy and he was used to driving in the snow. And he assured the IPs that he could get his wife safely to and from that clinic despite the weather. And then he went the extra mile, literally. He was like, look, I will pick you guys up at the train station, I believe. So the surrogate's husband, he wasn't under you know any kind of contract to do this. They had just built a relationship up and he was like, hey, let's make this happen, guys. And he picked them up at the train station. He drove everybody you know, carefully through this blizzard <laughs> to the clinic and they had the transfer and then he drove them back to the train station um, safely and everybody got on, um, on board and everyone was safe. And I believe that transfer was quite successful. They have a child, all that good stuff. So that's another great, you know, he was not contracted to do that. It was not his obligation, but, um, Oh, these stories, they just remind me of just an aspect of surrogacy that's hard to articulate a lot without sounding salesy or markety, but surrogacy brings together good people in a really unique circumstance. And it's for a very human cause, right? To have a baby. And the journey just asks them to do something amazing together. And almost always, um, luckily, especially in my experience, because I've worked with uh, reputable agencies, um, I've only seen really good, decent people. They always step up, they deliver, they do right by one another and they exceed expectations and they're gracious and they're awesome to one another. And the surrogate partners end up walking away being like, oh, I can't believe this amazing thing that you did for someone. You, you, you know, they have more esteem and they're like amazed by it. And this, oftentimes the circuits go, oh, it's so cool that you let me and you were here with me on this journey. So, and then of course, oftentimes lifelong friendships are forged between the intended parents and the surrogates. Not always, certainly not always, but a lot of times it, it works out really well. So it can be a truly beautiful um, experience and relationship. And yeah, there's lots of little stories like that. All right. So if your partner is hesitant, I hope you'll remain patient with them on the topic. I understand that it took Eloise's husband quite some time for her to win him over to the idea. A general Google search tells you that for humans changing our minds based on new information, that it takes days or months. And if emotional objections are involved, that it can take months or years. So move forward slowly, ask questions, allow them to ask questions of you, invite dialogue. And if becoming a surrogate is important, to you, then I hope you make that clear and you express that. 
Okay, this has been our episode on educating um, an otherwise hesitant surrogate partner. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am not Eloise Drain. I am Jesse Feist. But as Eloise Drain would say, love has no limits and neither should parenthood. Thank you so much for joining. Have a great one. Thank you for joining us in the Fertility Cafe. Whether you're an intended parent, a woman considering egg donation, thinking of becoming a surrogate yourself, or a friend or family member of someone dealing with infertility, we're here to help. Visit our website, thefertilitycafe.com, for resources on fertility, alternative family building, and making this journey your own.